that a funny phrase? Your will be done. Have you ever considered that phrase before? God has a will for us and Jesus taught us to pray, your will be done. This morning, I have the privilege of talking you through what I hope is gonna be really helpful for you. And that is a decision-making guide, how we make good decisions going forward. And we use this phrase, your will. Actually, Jesus used it. It's a common one in scripture that God has a will for us, a path for us. For some of us, we believe that that path represents restrictions, holding us back from experiencing things. And instead, I understand God's will to be one that actually has an abundant life in front of me, that desires to have my best in mind, and that God cares about us like a loving father does. It's in a great statement. But this morning, as we wrestle with the decision-making guide, I want to confess to you that even spending my life around Christ followers, that there are some really bad ways for people to make decisions. Do you guys agree with this? I remember as a high school youth pastor, I had a ton of students that would go to these great colleges, many of them academically gifted in mighty ways, and they, they would come back from their college visit and I'd say, so, so what's the one? They'd say, oh, I'm going to choose this school. And I'd say, well, well why, you know, why are you going to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars the next four or five or six years of your life at this place? Um, what, what is it that made you decide this? Is it the student to teacher ratio? Is it their placement? And, and they cut me off and they say, oh, no, it's because the guy who walked me around campus was really cute. <laughs> what? You know, I, I think that it's possible for some of us, especially those of us who are Christ followers, to adapt a mindset that comes to how we make decisions that's kind of a mystical, spiritual, like, God, what, what's, what, what do you want from me? And, and we kind of couch, I kind of call it like the fortune cookie decision-making process. You guys know what I mean. Uh, you, you pull open the fortune cookie and it says, here, put me back in. No, that's not what it says. It, it, you, you pull open the fortune cookie and you're wrestling with the decision. Should we buy that house? Is that, is that God's will? And you read, tomorrow's going to be a great day. Okay. So, so we make this decision. You invest in the house. It turns into the money pit. And what you have afterwards is, is you can't really blame the piece of paper, right? None of us do that, actually, do we? We don't find that piece of paper or that thing that made us feel in our gut, yes, this is right or wrong. Or, but actually, you know what we often do? Uh, and, I, and I believe I do this in my life, is that we, we blame God. Like, what, what, what did you do to me? Well, well I think that, that we might have just made a really dumb decision based on the wrong criteria for making decisions. We're going to see this today. We're going to see that, that the Apostle Paul understood how to make decisions. He's going to make decisions in the light of people who are really smart, who tried to get in the way of him, basically saying, God said it, I want to do it. And there's going to be people who attempt to oppose him in some really clever ways, but, but he just stands up and he basically says, your, Lord, your will be done in my life. Like, I, I want to get this right. And, and it's so different than the person who, I love this story, the, the, the guy who's working on his weight and he has been avoiding eating food that's bad for him. He's doing great and things are going really well for him, but he knows he's traveling for business and he's going to be near his favorite, very special donut shop on this trip. And so he, he prays before he gets there. He says, all right, God, if it's your will that I buy a dozen donuts at the donut shop, that you would allow there to be a, a parking spot at the, at, you know, in the, in the parking lot. And so uh, sure enough, there was a parking spot after he drove around the block eight times. <laughs> 
Like, like we do this, don't we? Like, like God, it's, it's your, I actually really believe that, that, that we talk a lot about wanting to understand God's will. It's very common that people communicate frustration to me about God's will. Like, I don't know what it is. What's he want for me to do? And I, I just want to say to you, church, this morning, I, I'm not so convinced that, that it's, it's God's will that we're missing out on or that we really want I think God cares more about us figuring out his will than what we do. I really do. I've said that so many times, but I believe it's true. I actually believe that for many of us, it's the strength and fortitude and, and humility to obey his will. That's the hard thing. That's, that's the thing that's difficult for us. I think that that's what, what I pray for today, that we are people who don't approach decision-making from this Christian cookie, fortune cookie approach, but instead that we, we find ourselves being people who depend on the Lord. And then when he says for us to do something, that we obey it. People have been trying to decipher the will of God forever. Later in the book of Acts, we're going to see a time period where the apostle Paul was shipwrecked. After he's shipwrecked, he's with a, a group of natives on the island of Malta, and he's carrying firewood. As he's carrying it, and he sets it down on a fire, a snake jumps up and bites him on the end of his finger, and the people freak out. They say, God must really have it out for this man. He survived this, this shipwreck, and now there's a viper that bites him on his finger. And you know what the apostle Paul did? He just shook it off and kept right on going. And it says later in the text that the people were amazed because of the fact that, that his God loved, like there's this phrase about his God. His God was lifted high in the process. If we get this right, I believe that there's gonna be people who stand around us and learn about our God because of the fact that we're people that choose to obey him. Friends, I believe that God has a good path for us and we should be people who truly care about following it. I love this, this image. The next slide here is an interesting one to me. If you can see this, this snaking path in the background, you see that? I, I think that for some of us, this, this first point this morning might shock you when I say this. Uh, Francis Chan just says, stop caring about God's will for your life. And you kind of stand back and you say, what? But, but I think for so many of us, we are people who really think that we want to know the big picture. We, we're worried about God's will for our, catch this, for our lives. And God just doesn't do that very often, does he? He doesn't tell us God's will for our life. Did you guys hear in France that this last week there was a, a glitch on a website from a news company and they published about 100 people's obituaries? The only problem was they're still living, okay? And so Queen Elizabeth and, and all these celebrities, they, um, they got to see their obituaries. Now, can you imagine for a second, it was a little awkward, right? Can you, can you imagine for a minute if God gave that to you? All right, here's your obituary. You're going to die in three days. You're going you're gonna to die in, in 200 days. You're going to die in 30 years. You're going to die in 70 years. That's just not how God works. Uh, we don't even know what we do with that data, Right? That, that the Lord in his infinite wisdom, like our lives are so much more like this path, right? Like if you're anywhere on this journey, uh, you have no idea what the next thing's coming, right? And, and he's okay with that. In fact, what the Lord asks of us is to be people who depend on him each step of the way, right? Next right step. It's what we talk about a lot. So, so I want to just gently encourage you, stop worrying about finding God's will for your life. He, he rarely gives us the long-term picture, 
So, so when I look in my own life at the decisions that I've had to make, I felt that God was calling me to serve as a pastor. What a privilege. Did I know it was going to be at Hope Church in Brunswick? Well, I have no idea about that and took me through the Bahamas and California and Texas. And, but, but I stand back and I say, Lord, you've had my back every step of the way. You've known my needs more than what I did. You, you got this. So when he's got this, we've got this, Right. And so stop worrying so much about that phrase, God's will for my life. And I think that what we allow ourselves to do is to rest on the rock. I love these two passages. They're so meaningful to me. The first is Psalm 119, 119, 105, that says, Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Isn't this picture great? This, this picture summarizes this. I've been in caves where there's no light at all and you only have this, you know, what you've got with you. And all you know is what's right in front of you. That's all you get. And I think that's the way the Lord works. He doesn't give us the long-term plan. Very rarely does he do that. And the, the second passage, the Lord Jesus said this uh, in, a, in an incredible way. He says, stop being anxious about tomorrow. Tomorrow will be, it sounds kind of sad, doesn't it? Tomorrow's got its own worries. So, so just understand sufficient for the day is its own troubles. That, that's not a cynical statement. It's just saying when the Lord says to us, my grace is sufficient for you, he's, he's talking about his grace for today, right? That, that you're going to get through today. T- trust me, we got this today. And for so many of us, we want to live in that future. Do I, do I know what's going to happen? How's it going to pan out? What's going to happen with my children? And I, and I encourage you to change the scope of your fears to allow yourself to just rest in the fact that the Lord is good. What this requires for us is to be people who make daily decisions that take into account God's will for us. That, that we're people who look at our lives day by day and we say, Lord, what do you have next for me? I love this, this Margaret Thatcher uh, quote. She says, standing in the middle of the road is dangerous. You get knocked down on both sides. Isn't that true? Like, like when, you're, when you're standing in the middle, in other words, some of us are paralyzed by decisions. That, that we get to these major decisions and we just say, we say, God, what's your will for us? And then, and then we, we find ourselves waiting for that audible voice from God. I've said this to you before, church. I've had really a few times in my life, I could probably count them on two hands where I've just felt like God was like, dude, this is what we're doing. Buckle up. And, and then other times I feel like I've sat back and I'll share with you some of the the ways that, that we discern God's will through his spirit, through deep prayer, through God's word, that, that we find ourselves resting in the authority of the Lord and we keep moving forward. There's nothing unspiritual about that. I actually think it's, it's modeling what, what he said to us in this verse. His word is a lamp unto our feet. It's a light unto our path. And, and, and for many of us, the, this paralysis is exactly what the deceiver wants to do in our life. He just wants us to stand still. Wants us to just give up, to, to tap out, to just be, okay, until I know the whole plan, I'm not going to do anything. Good luck with that, right? And so we, we think about this, and now we come to God's word. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter 21. And I want to begin with you in verse 1. Now, now what's happening here is, is that we're going to see a journey with the Apostle Paul. And, and what's fascinating about the verses that we're going to study together today is, is almost all of them are people telling Paul what he's about to do is a really bad idea. 
So, so almost all of them are creative ways that people, there's literally going to be someone in the text that's going to take Paul's belt. This is so weird. He's going to take Paul's belt. He's going to bind himself up and he's going to say, Paul, if you go to Jerusalem, this is what's going to happen to you. Other prophetesses are going to declare he's going to be under duress. He's going to be, um, he's going to, he's going to be under attack. And all of these people are sharing this. And what's fascinating about it is that I actually think, as I've studied this, that the Apostle Paul is, is hearing what they're saying, and he's not disagreeing with them. But, but he just still believes it's God's will for him. You understand? Like he, he's not choosing to take the path of least resistance. But instead, what he's doing is he's trying to say, God said to do it. I do it. This is what I do. And so we see this in the text. If you pick up with me in verse 1, it says this. It says, And when he had parted from them and he had set sail, we came by a straight course to Kaz, and the next day to Rhodes, and from there to Patara. And having found a ship crossing Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. And when we had come in sight of Cyprus, leaving it on the left, we sailed to Syria and landed at Tyre, for there the ship was to unfold its cargo. This is Greek to us, right? What's he talking about? I appreciate the summary of Kent Hughes. He says, in summary, he entered a routine journey filled with time-consuming stops on the way to the port of Patara. Then he, looked, um, then he booked passage on a non-stop 400-mile voyage until he landed in the port of Tyre, Syria, um, danger laid ahead, but he wanted to be home for the Passover. So once in Tyre, Paul came under some unexpected pressure to alter his plans. So, so on the map, we can kind of follow this third missionary journey as Paul is heading back now to Jerusalem. And, and, and there's people who are going to stand in the way. They say this in verse 4. And having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days. And through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go to Jerusalem. When our days there were ended, we departed and we went on our journey, you could fill this in, to Jerusalem. So, so he's received counsel, don't do it. When our days there ended, we departed and went on our journey and they all, with wives and children, accompanied us until we were outside the city and kneeling down on the bench, we prayed and we said farewell to one another. Then we went on board the ship and we returned home. So, so here what's happening is there's these groups of people now involving the children even. You can picture the children, Paul, don't do it. Don't do it. It's going to be a really bad thing. You're going to suffer these brothers and sisters in Christ are standing here. And it says that through the Spirit, they received this message. And I think that it's, it's appropriate for us to understand that it's, it's really possible that this was the leading of the Holy Spirit. Like that Richard Longenecker puts it this way. He says, through the Spirit means that the Spirit told them that Paul would undergo suffering for Christ a message that naturally gave the believers deep concern, but they made a different conclusion from the same data that Paul had. We, he knew that suffering was on the horizon like Jesus did, yet he, this is great, yet he carried on, right? So suffering's coming. They say, stop. And, and what the apostle Paul does is he just carries on in the role of God's mighty hand upon him as God continues to press into his will to be done. See, what they did is something that I'm afraid is we talk about a decision-making guide that is common for some of us, and that is they confuse the easy path with the path of obedience, right? They confuse the easy path for the path of obedience. 
This was not a desire to experience pain. Paul was not a person who wanted to be a martyr for Christ for the sake of martyrdom. I like the way that J. Oswald Sanders puts it. He says, to choose to suffer means that there's something wrong. Now, now, now think about this. Like God built us to be people who care for our bodies, to continue to keep moving forward, right? To, 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 to want to live. But he says to choose to suffer is, is not the right point. That's not the point. We don't want to pursue suffering. But to choose God's will, even if it means suffering, is a very different thing. No healthy saint ever chooses suffering. He chooses God's will, as Jesus did, whether it means suffering or not, right? Uh, do, do you guys follow me on this? Do you, do you follow what we're saying here? Is that he's just saying, God, if you want me to go, I'll go. I trust you. And what's great if you read the story moving forward, if you stick with us as we, we look to wrap up this series, that that even in the midst of suffering, God's there. God's going to have, un the Apostle Paul's going to have unlikely people who defend him. And the story continues to be an incredible one. So, so I think this, this first point this morning is to say that you should stop losing sleep over determining God's will for your life. Readjust your expectations. I think that, that this is one of those times where we just find ourselves saying, Lord, we want to trust you. We want to trust you each step of the way. We want to be people who depend upon you. And I, I think that that involves, for some of us, readjusting our expectations. One of the things that's broken my heart in pastoral ministry, you know, I, I said with the fortune cookie that, that some of us like to blame God for our circumstances, is that I've noticed with some people that they say things to me like, they'll say, I honor the Lord in the preparation for my marriage. My husband and I took it really serious. We didn't live together. We, they'll, they'll share with me the preparation. And then a couple of years into their marriage, they'll say, well, well my marriage is a mess. Uh, like, I, but, I, but I did this thing. I, I honored God in this way. So I should have a, that, that conclusion. We're having trouble getting pregnant. Okay, well, what, 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 and I think what they're doing is they're, they're having an unrealistic understanding of what it means to obey God's will. God's will doesn't mean that this is a divine vending machine that I took each step the way I wanted to so I get my will to be done all of the time. But instead, what it means is that we trust the Lord in each step of the path. There is a will of God. David says this in Psalm 25. He says, make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. That's a great prayer. We should be praying that. It's just, let's just let go that will for my life thing. Can we agree to that? Like God's will for your life, who knows what that's gonna be. He's gonna let tomorrow worry for tomorrow. Let's focus in on today. The second point this morning that I find to be very helpful and encouraging is God has a will. Another way to put it is a preferred path for us. And he does not intend for it to be a great mystery. It's not something that I believe he's constantly hiding from us. But instead, I think that, that it is that we need to be people who are willing to listen to it as he leads us. It says this in verse 7. It says, when he had finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived at Ptolemaeus and we greeted the brothers and stayed with them for one day. On the next day, we departed and came to Caesarea and we entered the house of Philip the evangelist. You guys remember Philip? We, uh, Philip was an incredible leader in the early church, a, a, a man who had been appointed to a leadership role where he was so 
encouraging about being an ambassador for the gospel. He was one of the seven and they stayed with him and he had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. And while we were staying with them for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea and coming to us, he took Paul's belt. This is so weird. He took Paul's belt. I don't know if he took it off Paul while he's wearing it, if it was just sitting up while they were hanging around the house, but he bound his own feet in his hands, and he said, thus says the Holy Spirit, this is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. I, th I think he, he felt like he was dropping a bombshell on him. Like, this is what's going to happen. But, but Paul already knew that this was going to happen. And, and he, it says, when he heard, we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. Now, now the author of Acts uh, this Luke, Luke, who's the good physician, he, he changes the language here. Like he was even saying like, Paul, stop it. You don't want to do this. This is really going to be a dangerous thing. But when we heard this and we, the people there urged him not to go up Jerusalem. I love this 13. This is, this is the epicenter of the message this morning. I hope we can, can be people who get this. Paul answered, what are you doing? Weeping and breaking my heart for I'm ready not only to be in prison, but die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Later, there's going to be this declaration, thy God's will be done. Let it be. Let it be. It's okay. Like, I, I trust that the Lord's good. He knows what's going on. So, so here, we're going to stop arguing about it. And it's helpful to remember in this moment that, that here, God, God has provided for us ways to make really wise decisions. I want to give you a few suggestions in that area. The first is that the, that the God of the universe leads us through his indwelling Holy Spirit. That he is our divine paraclete, our helpmate. He, he helps us to understand God's will. We're called to be people. This is a great phrase. We're called to be people who walk in the Spirit. Part of what that means, he says, not to be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. You guys know when you've seen somebody who's drunk, right? Hopefully not recently, but you know what we're talking about, right? That, that they're filled with something. And he says, be filled with the Spirit. Be, be guided by the Spirit. Allow God's word and his truth and his indwelling presence to be so much a part of your life that, that you determine God's will just through understanding the very heart and mind of God. My, my children know my will in our household because of the fact that they know me. You understand? Like, it's not a mystery, and I think that's how it works in the family of God, that the person who chooses to say, Lord, I trust you, I think they can know God's will. They can understand that, that this is not a divining rod situation that's mysterious. I've seen people do that. Help me find the keys in the room. All right, is it to the left or the right? Where was it? Like, that's not what we're talking about. We're just saying, Lord, I trust you. Um, be, be filled with the Spirit. The second one, this one is, is so important. And I want you to hear this. The second way that I believe God leads us is that he leads us through his word. So when he says, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path, for some of you, you're walking in the darkness because you don't care about God's word. You know, I read, read this week that, that we're on average spending about 122 minutes on social media these days, right? So 122 minutes. Does that sound like a lot? Some of you are like, oh, that's nothing. That's, that's per day, by the way. That Barna did some research and talked about prayer in particular. And, and, and I don't know how accurate this is, but the average time spent in prayer in America is about a minute a day for Christ's followers, okay? 
So, so, so let's, let's just throw Bible reading in there. Who knows what that statistic would be in your life. But I was so convicted by this this week to, to stand back and to say, they, they estimate that we're influenced by about 11 hours of media in our day, okay? So 11 hours. So, so for me to think about my own life, I did this yesterday in preparation for this morning, convicted by this. Lord, if it's 11 hours of being saturated by stuff, Whatever that is, like where, where's God's word fit in this? And I just turned on audiobook, listened to God's word. And, and it was so incredible. Listen to the book of Romans yesterday. And it was life-giving for me. And I realized like, like we're trying to determine God's will. And yet he says that his word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. So if you're wondering God's will for your, your day this week, how do we deal with these decisions that are in front of us? I want to remind you, there are distinctly Christian responses to these things. And I, I believe that for some of us, we allow ourselves to take the label of Christian and define, let that define the person's counsel to us. If the Apostle Paul applied that in this case, he would have gone against God's will, right? If somebody digested that information and said, all Christians do this, this way, the Apostle Paul wouldn't have understood God's will, right? Because all these people, even the author of the book, are standing up and they're saying, hey, it didn't sound good to me. That's not the right path. But instead, what he chooses to do is he chooses to walk in the Spirit, and he saturated himself with the truth of God's word. Do you understand how valuable that is? If you care about determining God's will in your life, then you have to be somebody who chooses to be a self-feeder of God's word, that he leads us through his word. And I'm, I'm guessing for, for many of us that, that this is really the crux of where we are lacking in our ability to listen to the truth of God's word, that we're, we're choosing to listen to so many other messages right now. And, and there's so many available. There's an endless amount of information that you can receive. And some of you send them to me. You, you pass them along. You say, hey, I want you to know about this. And if I'm, if I'm sometimes rude or, or blow you off, it's not, offense, it's not intended to be offensive. I know where to find this stuff. I, I know how to search for these things. I, I've heard these messages before, but I just want to be really clear. The message I care about right now more than any other message is what God's word is in my life. Do you understand that? And if you haven't done that first, then stop sending me those messages. Do you understand? If you haven't saturated yourself with the truth of God's word, let's make that first. Can we do that together? Can we commit to doing that together? Sorry, I'm getting all fired up. Here we go. Um, I, I think that it sounds counterintuitive in this passage, but the counterintuitive part of this is that there are lots of counselors that are out there today and uh, God does value, there's value in counselors. So even though it sounds like I just pushed away from that, the, there's probably six or seven proverbs that say similar things to this. It says, where there's no guidance, a people falls, but in an abundance of counselors, there's safety. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. So, so when you um, listen to advice. It's appropriate to ask for counsel. It's appropriate to seek it. I just want to challenge you to ask that it's godly advice, that it's biblical counsel, that you're, you're sifting through it to understand. Psalm 1's incredible about this. If you haven't memorized it yet, I encourage you because it's not saying all counsel's good. 
It's saying you have to listen carefully to who you choose to allow to be your counselor. Another way that I believe God leads us might shock you, uh, but this is maybe a weird part of my theology, but sometimes I think God leads us through our desires. Uh, it's, it's interesting that often uh, we, we quote Psalm 37, 4. It says, take delight in the Lord and he will give you your heart's desires. Again, this isn't divine vending machine, but, but there have been times where, like the move to Ohio for us, when we lived in Southern California, we loved living in Southern California. Uh, there's reasons to love living in California, believe it or not. But, but, but we also pray, Lord, would you draw us back to be home closer to the family that we love? And, and so we prayed for that. Is that, an, is that a selfish prayer? I don't think so, actually. I think it was an appropriate prayer. Lord, would you do that for us? He, did, he said no to us for years that we lived there. And so we kept pressing on. We served the Lord. We considered it a huge privilege. Some of my best friends in the world are in California. But but we look at this and we say, thanks, Lord. That's cool that you gave us the desire of our hearts. Is that going to change tomorrow? Maybe. We, we trust the Lord. We know what, we, we just trust his will for us. And so I say that to say often he leads us. Um, and so, so Augustine said it like this. He says, love God and, and do what you want. Now you can, you can take that into perspective to say, if doing what you want, let's go back to God's word, conflicts with what God has taught us in his word, then it's not God's will for us, right? So, so, so we are people who choose to depend on the Lord. And then this last one is an appropriate one to also understand, and that is God often leads us through patient consideration. You've heard the cliche that fools rush in. Uh, I think there's nothing unspiritual about weighing out the apparent pros and cons of a decision. That it's appropriate for us at times to just say, like, I got a list, and Lord, here's what it looks like. Pros and cons. Is this the right thing? So, so we don't make snap decisions because many spur-of-the-moment decisions are just emotional guesses. But instead, it's appropriate at times for us to sleep on it, to say, Lord, would you open a door for me? Is this what you want? I want to honor you. And once we're settled in on that, this is, this is, the, this is really the, where the, I think power comes from this message is, is that once we settle in on that uh, and God's made it clear to us, that, then we just need to be people who obey it. Do you understand? Like that we, we, we say, all right, Lord, this is what your will is for me. Okay, I, I understand that that's your will. And, and the Apostle Paul now is standing in front of what looks like might be his imminent death, right? He, he, he felt like Passover was the deadline. He's supposed to be there. So he's fighting to get to Jerusalem by Passover. And, and here um, he, he understood something that I hope some of us learn, and that is knowing God's will is vastly different from obeying it. Here he's going to obey it. Verse 14. And since he would not be persuaded, we gave up. This is Luke saying this. And we said, let the will of the Lord be done. What a great statement. These are the people who thought that they were giving him counsel different than this. But they said, finally, Lord, let the will of the Lord be done. That's our prayer. This is what I'm encouraging you to pray even today, is to be a person who just says, Lord, let your will be done. Let your will be done this afternoon on this Sunday. How do you want me to spend these next few minutes? How do you want me to spend these next few hours? Lord, what is it that you want from me? So he says this in verse 15, after these days we got ready, we went up to Jerusalem and some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us, bringing us to the house 
of Manesson of Cyprus, an early disciple with whom we should lodge. So now uh, they, they do these, these difficult things. They keep moving forward. They, they not only had aspirational values, but they were values that, that panned out in their life. So we know what we ought to do and we ought to do it. So, so, so in conclusion this morning, I just want to encourage you. First thing I want to encourage you with, just relax a little bit. Those of you who are stressed out about God's will for your life, and my heart's heavy for those of you who have heavy decisions in front of you, like who you should marry, if you should go to college, where you should go to college, these, these like career paths, and these are really heavy decisions. I don't want to uh, light, um, make those any lighter than they need to be. And, and I, I just want to remind you in the midst of that, it's okay to relax. Most of the decisions we make other than the marriage one are, are decisions that you can kind of remake later on in your life, right? Like I, I chose to go to Cedarville, the small Christian school in, um, in Cedarville, Ohio. And, and that decision was complicated. I thought I was going to be working at a church at the time. I uh, it was a different decision than some of the other choices, but it turned out to have an incredible impact on my life. Found my wife, Allie, there. Some best friends in my life came from my time at Cedarville. Professors that helped to lead me on to seminary. And it was totally God's will. I can say that very comfortably. It was God's will for my life at that time. But there was a freedom for me one day when I just realized, if this was the wrong decision, I can probably figure out how to go to a different school, Right? So, so just relax a bit. Stop trying to figure out God's will for your life. But, but, take, but take the time to pray to the Lord. Lord, your will be done in my life. C.S. Lewis puts it, this is pretty profound. He, he talks about how decisions define us. He says, every time you make a choice, you are turning the central part of you, the part that chooses into something a little different than it was before. What he's saying there is, is like we, we get to make these choices. The Lord's given us the freedom to make incredible decisions. And so, so we say God's will for our life is God's will for this moment. And that will of God for us is always his best. For some of you that are non-believers, I want to challenge you right at the end of this message to, you maybe heard of, Rick Warren wrote a book called The Purpose Driven Life. I want to just remind you, if you feel like your life has no purpose, uh, the, the side message of this sermon this morning is, I think the God of the universe who loves Christ's followers has a purpose for them. He's got a plan for them. He desires for them to experience his best, his plan forward. Doesn't mean it's an easy one, but God has a plan for you. He's got a purpose for you. I love the way that Peter wrote it in 2 Peter 3.9. He says, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that anyone should perish, but that all should reach repentance. So why, why not today? Today's a great day. Let's Let's do this. It's time to stand back and to say uh, the, old, the old lyrics of the song. We won't sing it in closing, but I'll invite the worship team forward. They're going to close us out and worship. But you guys remember the old lyrics, I have decided to follow Jesus. I love that lyric that says, though none go with me. I think the Apostle Paul was at that, that point. Though none go with me, still I will follow. No turning back. No turning back. Would that, would that be your story today, Hope Church family? Lord, we love you. We pray this, asking that you would be lifted high, that we would be people who've decided to follow Jesus. 
We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.